and I'm going to crack on with that. So this is us. One of the things that makes you and me unique as people that are um, children of the king is that uh, his presence, God's presence, um, is an integral part of that. Um, like any family relationship or relationship in your life, uh, it's, it's kind of hard to, to do that without a form of presence. And so I want to take first few minutes to just look at what that looks like for us. Um, the scripture often speaks of the presence of God in, 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 in lots of ways, but the most common way is that the Hebrew term for presence uh, is translated to face, i.e. it depicts this um, picture of closeness, of when you're in someone's presence, when my wife says um, she wants quality time, quality time is not sitting in front of the TV, um, much to my dismay, um, and sitting next to each other and uh, maybe saying a few words, quality time or presence, when you're present with somebody, you look at each other. You, there's a closeness. And that's what the Bible's talking about here. Uh, the presence of God carries a multitude of meanings. Um, a big picture is his omnipresence, where we get the picture that he's everywhere all the time. He's, that's his bigness. But this morning, we're going to look more at what... Um, theologians talk about special presence or manifest presence. And what I mean by that is that when God's presence is visible, tangible things take place. Change takes place. Miracles happen. Moments happen. People are changed when God's manifest presence is present. And so we see through the Bible that um, God's presence provides comfort in times of distress and anxiety, uh, we see that God displays His presence as a, at a place of worship, but it's not limited to that. God's presence is often accompanied by times of revival and refreshing. And uh, we see that uh, God's presence is a place where prayer is heard, um, and uh, we see that in David's life, God's presence is a place of judgment. Um, and God's presence is a place of blessing. Uh, believers are called to always be living in God's presence. And in that presence, he notes them and notes their deeds. And he promises to be with us until he comes again. His manifest presence is with us. So just quickly before I crack on, why is this a big deal? Why would you, why would you be a person, a Christ follower that makes this a, a, a serious part of your life. Um, well, we're going to have a look at that, but just from the beginning of the Word of God, from Genesis 28, Behold, I am with you, and I will keep you wherever you go, and I will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I promised you. All the way to Revelation 21, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God will be with them as their God. If you are and I are sons and daughters of our king, we are his priesthood, we are his people, it says that he is continually with us. And with him being continually with us, we get to display who he is to the world, and we get to encounter him face to face, and his manifest presence can do incredible things. 
with us. And I hope that stirs you to, to maybe as I carry on, uh, just uh, open up your hearts and your minds this morning to, to being a people that seek His presence. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to crack on. Father God, I commit this morning to you. Holy Spirit, may your presence be here this morning. Open up our hearts to what your word has for us this morning, God. I pr- uh, commit every single one of us that are here in this venue, for those that are online at home, um, have your way with us, God. Amen. Right. So I've introduced a little bit of this, and I'm going to have a quick look at somebody that really did uh, not get it perfectly right, but the scripture does um, refer to him as a man after God's own heart. And so I think he's a good place to start of what it looks like when your life is centered around the presence of God. And so Psalm 27, David is writing, and uh, I want to take a snippet out of Psalm 27. Now, um, he shows us that, uh, David shows us that um, in this context, there's a lot going on in his life. There's probably a lot going on in your life. There's been a lot going on in everyone's life over the last while, and some serious things are going on. And um, I think the big difference is that his name starts with King David, and to my knowledge, no one in the room has um, got the name King anybody. Um, some of your kids might feel that way on a personal level, but uh, in reality, they're not. No one's a king in here. So he's got problems, and uh, problems that often you and I miss and kind of take for granted when we look at us. So he's got people trying to kill him, like legit kill him, and, uh, and trying to, uh, he's got people in his own family, uh, his son that gets up to some despicable things within his own home and dethrone him. So the man's got some challenges going on. Um, but in all of that, we see through his life, through the good and the bad, he continually, continually talks about this. Psalm 27, the one thing I ask of the Lord, the one thing I seek most And see what he goes there. He doesn't go like, oh, please just fix my problems. Or please just get me enough money to to sort that out. He says, the thing I seek most is to live in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. Delighting in the Lord's perfection and meditating in his temple. the, The thing that he most seeks after is being in the presence of God. Seeking God. Being in the presence of God. And so... We can have a look at his, his life and just learn a few things this morning. And as the psalm goes on, we can see why for him and for you and I this morning, why this should be a big deal. Why we should be a people that seek to have God's presence in our personal lives and in our, in our community as a whole. Firstly, we see him that he's longing after the manifest presence of God. And he's had a taste of it. And, and he's realized that actually that is what I need most. The thing that I most need in my life right now is not just a, a fix, but I need the presence of God. He says, um, it says, for he will conceal me when, when troubles come. I love the Bible. It doesn't say, it doesn't try and deny the fact that troubles come David's way. And I'm sure if you're in this room, you know it has come your way. And it will probably come again. Troubles come. But David understands that in the presence of God, he's concealed. 
He has a protection. He hides me from the day of trouble. So he understands that the presence of God doesn't solve those problems, doesn't make them vanish. But he understands that in the presence of God in those moments, he has a sense of being concealed. He has a sense of peace. He will hide me in his sanctuary. He will place me out of reach on a high rock. He understands that the presence of God brings something that often we talk about, peace that we don't understand. If you're looking for that peace in your life that is beyond comprehension or understanding, you know where you find it? In the presence of God. And then even more beautiful, he says, you know why? Because in the presence of God, he will hold my head up high. He's going to lift my head. When you're defeated and you're feeling down, your head's not looking up. It's slumped towards the floor. Well, not slumped, directed towards the floor. It talks about how he will seal you in the sanctuary. God will uh, seal you up in his sanctuary. And so David is showing us that there's some seriousness of why you and I should be the same kind of people, seeking God's presence. Because with what comes with his presence is a peace beyond understanding. In times of trouble, that the Bible's not denying going to happen, but you're able to have a bit of more clarity in your life when those things happen on a personal level going, you know what, God is bigger than that thing that we see. It even goes on to talk about what we often refer to in the church as the dark night of the soul. I don't know if anybody else has had those moments when, when your world is rocked to its core. It's rocked to this, its core. You, you get a diagnosis. You get news. Something happens that rocks you to the core. Those things often cannot be changed in that moment. But David reminds us that actually even in those moments, the thing that is going to secure your soul and give you clarity of what's going on is the presence of God because that's where peace comes from. In those moments of chaos, his presence doesn't make it go away, but that's where I understand things like, okay, this is happening to me. This diagnosis is real. But you know what? God loves me. He loves my wife and my children way more than I ever have in my life, and peace can follow. And now my head's up. The problems haven't gone away, but my head is up looking towards the one who brings that peace. And so the problem is for you and me, in those moments, in those dark moments, we've got two big, big, big enemies, okay? We heard about one of them last week from Brendan, where we kind of, oh, it's awkward language, you know, in the church in 2021, is where we talk about the devil or demons, that there is a spiritual warfare going on. And so, I don't know about you, but in my moments of dark nights, um, two enemies, two things inadvertently come along. The devil comes along and goes, opportunity of a lifetime, yeah, to drag Anthony out of the presence of God. And number two is me, myself. My own mind. Those are our two biggest enemies in this moment of what rips us out of the peace of God, out of His presence. Because when those two come along, that's when the, the thoughts come 
that's when the, the thoughts that are not from God and not found in His presence come, going, am I going to make it out of this? Is this surmountable? Will I get to see my children grow up? Will I get to be with, grow old with my wife? Will that be? And your, your own mind starts to break down that presence of God. We see this when, when your mind or where the spiritual realm starts getting a hold of you and tries to drag you out of it. We see it even with Saul when he was tormented. David would play his harp and the presence of God would fall in that room and it says that Saul was at peace. And so I want to go on to say that um, as we look through this, part of the beauty of the presence of God is that that is the thing that displaces that stuff that your own mind gets up to. As they say, no one lies to you and puts you down as much as yourself. I think uh, in preparing for this, someone said, I think most of us say about 10,000 words a day to ourselves. Words going through your mind. Things. I'd say a lot of it, not on the positive realm, especially in the world we live in, where we are getting held to a standard that is unachievable. And even if you achieve it, you find out that it hasn't really done what it promised to do. And so those two enemies can be displaced, repelled, whatever you want to call it, by something very special, the presence of God. So I'm going to see, how do we seek this? How, how, do, we, how do we be a people that if you are struggling with it or never experienced it, how do we carry on and be the kind of people that are people in his presence. We see in David's life that even when he's unable to worship or, or be with God, he becomes very frustrated. And I think maybe we should be the same kind of people this morning. If the peace of God and the presence of God is not evident in life, I'd say take on an attitude of, no, this is not good enough. I need to get to what the Word of God tells me, that peace and joy are possible. And so Psalm 105 says, search for the Lord for his strength. Continually seek him. You see, this isn't something that you get a, a badge for, you pay once off, and then it's sorted. Unfortunately not. The Bible over and over again says, listen, you have to seek the presence of God. It's an active, something that takes motion and and, and, and I dare I say it work, that you have to be willing to seek out the strength and the presence of God. I need to be willing to make adjustments, change things. The other thing to note is that you can't control the peace of God. It's another thing. You don't get it once off. And another thing is that even if you get it, it's not like you now got a formula. We can't walk in here on a Sunday, right, 11 songs, Seven hours of prayer meeting, and we sort it. There's going to be gold dust and everything. It doesn't work like that. God is not manipulated like that. But what we can do is people that seek it continually and make it a priority in our lives, that actually we put ourselves in the best possible position to be in His presence continually, to experience that peace, that joy, regardless of circumstances. 
what we can do is seek it wholeheartedly, being a people that takes seriously the things that God takes seriously. That's one way we find it, is that we take the things that God takes seriously, seriously. And so I want to look at two big things this morning. What are the things that attract the presence of God? You said I must push it away. Is that right? You can jack up the volume there. Um, what are the things that attract the presence of God? And what are the things that we do that repel it? We have to, there's going to have to be some honesty this morning. And so, first thing, what, what you and I can seek out in a determined way, continually, two things I want to just cover quickly. Again, 2022, not a word that is common anymore. Dare I say it, even amongst believers, but holiness. God takes holiness very seriously. If you want to be somebody that is in the presence of God, it means that you and I also take personal holiness as seriously. Too many of us often live in a place where holiness is kind of blurred. I love the fact that I can say in that kind of space, you live a life that says, oh, Jesus is my Savior, for sure. But I'm not too sure about Him being my Lord. I'm not too sure about Him being the Lord over my whole life. And Scripture says that actually that's not going to, God, not going to bring us into the presence of God. Psalm 41, talking about holiness and why we should take it seriously. It says, you have preserved my life because I am innocent. You have brought me into your presence forever. Psalm 51. Creating me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. We can't just go, right, I want the salvation, God. And then it stops there. It's, God, you're my Savior. And because of that, I acknowledge you as Lord over all of my life. And what comes with that is his glorious presence in your life. Personal holiness. God takes it seriously. We need to take it serious. And David understands this in the Psalms. He understands that the manifest presence of God is a big deal. And because of that, we see from David's life, that he gets to the understanding that, you know what? The holiness of God and my obedience to him as Lord, I continue to get a picture that he's bigger than the circumstances that I'm, that I'm facing. And that's the beauty of the presence of God and, holy, and, and being holy before God, is that you get a consistent reminder that, yes, this is a reality in my life. But you know what's bigger? I think I said it a couple of weeks ago. The weight of God's glory displaces that stuff. And so it doesn't disappear out of your life, but you live a, you're able to live a life where you're going, yes, that is going on. But you know what's bigger? You know what's bigger than those things? Is the presence of God and the glory of God. 
That's why David writes, one day in your presence, then a thousand elsewhere. In moments of both joy and dark nights of the soul, he has realized that the thing you need the most is the presence of God. He then realizes that it's bigger than the things that stands in front of him. The glory and the presence of God does displace things. And then you can live a life saying, actually, it's bigger and better than the money that I seem to be chasing. The status within my social circus that I'm, I'm chasing. Greed. Porn. Even offense within the church. It's bigger than those things. God's bigger than those things. And so God is a God that always stoops down to his holy people. We see that over and over in Scripture when people show they, they, not their willingness, but their, their commitment to being a holy people, God always moves towards them. He is gracious and merciful with them. Another beautiful thing about being, being a people that do seek holiness is that holiness leads to this thing called repentance. Acts 3, now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. And this is Beautiful what comes next. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord, and he will again send you Jesus. Times of refreshing come from repentance, come from a sense of holiness in your life. Who's going to turn down refreshing this morning? Do you need some of that in your life? Does the refreshing presence of God sound tantalizingly beautiful right now in your life? in your marriage, in your parenting, in your family relationships? Could you do with a dose of refreshing God's presence? Taking seriously what he calls us to be as people, a holy people, a holy priesthood. Refreshing can occur in your life. It occurs in the presence of God. And the presence of God is activated by repentant hearts. Another big thing that really does attract the presence of God is God is attracted to fervent, glorious worship. God loves it when we worship Him. God never goes, okay guys, calm down. That's not really, you know, you're making me feel a little bit awkward now. Never. He loves our fervent worship. Psalm 95, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Let us come to him with thanksgiving. Let us sing psalms of praise to him. For the Lord is a great God, a great king above all gods. Psalm 100, shout with joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him singing with joy. Acknowledge that the Lord is God. He made us and we are his. Psalm 29, ascribe to the Lord the glory due to his name, Savior and Lord. We're a people that are called to understand that and go, actually, one of the responses to that should be fervent worship. I remember a couple years ago, I think it was 2019, it was definitely pre-COVID, um, in, in my family, I'm sometimes referred to as the Grinch at Christmas time. Um, 
compared to other members of my marriage. Um, and so, and so, my sister, um, who is a, a beautiful lady, um, people, she claims to be organized, I call it bossy, um, was down here for Christmas, and before I know it, this family outing is organized, and we're going to Hillsong's Christmas, I, don't, I can't remember what it's called, Christmas thing. And I'm like, oh, really? I don't want to go sing Christmas cradles. And I get labeled a Grinch. And I go because, you know, it's probably going to affect my sex life later. So I go. I go. I go. I go. I go. Sorry. Sorry. I'll apologize later. So, so I go dragging my feet at... at um, the casino, yeah, in this auditorium. So I go, and there's kids and Christmas and yeah, and whatever. I'm like, yeah, okay. We paid money for this. I want my money back. That's a, no, I'm joking. I wasn't that. And so, and the night carries on, and the next minute uh, they start doing some worship, and uh, at that stage in my life, I was on dialysis. So. Didn't always feel too sharp most of the time, and so we are standing there. And the next minute, they start um, worshiping, and a song that we sing, yeah, uh, "King of Kings," um, which is a Hillsong song. And this uh, trio of ladies comes out, and they call us to stand up, and they start singing. But the difference is, we're singing with them, and there's I think there's about two thousand people in there, and before you know it. I'm standing in a crowd of 2,000 people, and we're just worshiping God, like that you don't often get here, no offense to all of us in the room, <laughs> um, but I, just this moment where I, 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 that scene in Revelation just became clear to me, like there's going to be a moment in time when this all stops. And we're going to be standing, as the Bible says, with all nations, and we're going to be worshiping this God that deserves nothing less than worship. And um, why did I put that in my notes? I don't even remember. But, uh, but we worship God because he's worthy of it, and he loves it. And now fervor, fer, worship that is fervorous, is that a word? I'm not too sure. It looks different for all of us. So it doesn't mean that you, you, you need to go ballistic. For some of us, that's not it. But God loves our worship. It attracts his presence. And it might not even have to be here on a Sunday. I'm not even limiting it to a Sunday. But he, he, he's attracted to your worship, your fervent worship. We worship God when we share the gospel. We worship God when we are generous. We worship God when we help other people. We are saying you're worthy of our time, attention, and loyalty, God. We praise his righteousness and his mercy. We praise him for the way he is. And that attracts his worship. I think I'm speaking too slow, yo. Let me check my time. <sighs> yeah, I am. We were made to praise God. 
John has given a vision, like I said. I heard every creature in heaven and on earth and under the sun and on the sea and all that is in them singing to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. This is the right response from us as holy chosen people who long for the presence of God. Two things that we can do in our personal lives as as a community that attracts the presence of God. Consider holiness and worship. I want to move on quickly to two things that we all too easily do, though, that repel His presence. First one, pride. Psalm 138. Might feel a bit tense over the next few minutes, but it gets better at the end, trust me. Psalm 138. Every king in all the earth will thank you, Lord, for all of them will hear your words. Yes, they will sing about the Lord's ways, for the glory of the Lord is very great. Though the Lord is great, he cares for the humble, but he keeps his distance from the proud. He keeps his distance from you when you're proud. Now, if you've experienced his presence ever, or you're a child of God, that's a scary thought to me. That God is in a position of like, thanks, but no thanks. That doesn't actually attract me to, to you. Isaiah 2, the haughty looks at man, looks of man should be brought low, and the lofty pride of men shall be humbled, and the Lord alone will exalt in that day. Proverbs, everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. In the pride of his face, the wicked does not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. Pride repels the presence of God in your life. This is the problem with proud people. Especially in this day and age and the culture we live in, where you're told continually that you're your own person, that you are the God of your own destiny, that you determine your happiness regardless of what that means. And often your happiness has effects on people around you. But the world is telling you, no, you're it. You get to define who you are, what you are, what you're about. The problem with the proud person is that they didn't even think they need the presence of God. They really do live in a world where they say, well, I've got this. Be of it in the private sense or even in a church sense. They, they do not take holiness seriously. They consider things like beautiful things created by God, things He's created, be it even creation itself, resources, education, status, and they put them above the Creator Himself. 
and their priorities are disordered. That's what we call idols. They have an illusion of control. Illusion that they're in control. And there's too many stories in this room where control of your life is a figment of your imagination. It really is. They function or think they can function in their own terms and in their own ways. There's no need for community. There's no need for digging deep. I mean, there cannot be a more proud and arrogant stance to have than to, to think that you can do a journey of sanctification by yourself. For me, I don't think. I don't think there is a more proud, full moment as a believer to believe that you can do sanctification by yourself or in isolation or just with a few podcasts or whatever and never getting deep or getting real or getting um, into a place where people are helping you on that. You can't, as I said earlier, be that prideful or arrogant to say, yes, I can have a Savior, but He doesn't get to be Lord of my life. And so the proud are kept at a distance by God. So easy for us when things are going good. You know what it, I mean, the bank account's looking okay. The kids are fine. Everything's going fine. We're giving high fives to ourselves and to our wives. Like, woo, baby, we got this. And then the minute things don't go our way, we're like, God, what's up with that? But we haven't been in his presence for who knows long. Your pride, it repels the presence of God. Your consistent approach to God and his presence being just a mere add-on to your life when necessary repels the presence of God. Next one, complacency. Complacency or just disinterest. Just, just there's a scene in a, one of the best movies of all time, The Usual Suspects. Anybody seen it? Yeah, like, yeah, when movies were real movies. It was made in 1995 when I just checked my facts, so sure, that is old. But in this scene, Verbal, the main protagonist in the movie, is sitting in front of the detective interrogating him. And he says this line, in a, and it's, a Hollywood line, but it makes sense. It says that the best trick the devil ever pulled was making people believe he doesn't exist. And we heard about it last week from Brent. Is that we live in a time, and dare I say it, I'm not even going to say in the culture, yeah, in the world, where we really do live this naive existence, assuming that the things that are going on in my heart and in the life are, are not being influenced by something. And I think we take that lightly. We, we allow the culture of the day, the rules of the day, the standards of the day. Where does that stuff come from? Who made that up? You can't point to one person. It's just prevalent. It's subtle. That's the beauty of it. You don't even see it. It's not a red man with horns anymore. It's subtle. It just comes through everything. We're like, come on, man. That, 
that holiness stuff, it's not, it's not. What you do with your own time is yours to choose. Complacency, where we're just not that into being in the presence of God. Proverbs 1 says this about the complacent. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency. Fools are destroyed by their own complacency. Being complacent about the presence of God is a very foolish thing for you and I. In Matthew 25, there's that story, that uh, parable that's told about the ten virgins. I'm going to very shorten it because I'm taking too much time. But the gist of it is that they are waiting for the bridegroom. Five, they all take lamps and five take extra oil. They are committed to this and five don't. And as they fall asleep, the bridegroom arrives, arrives way later than he, they thought. And when it's time to wake up, the five that bought, that were committed to this, had extra oil and were able to go towards the bridegroom. And five that just were complacent, were unable to. And they go get more oil and they fill their lamps and they, they come running in and they say to the bridegroom, open up. And he's like, sorry. Sorry. Complacency is something that God does not enjoy. It repels his presence. Even on a human level, surely everyone in the room can understand this. Husbands, do complacency in your marriage. Do complacency in your marriage. And trust me, there will be another man that won't be complacent about your wife. Your kids, how you parent them. Be complacent about that, and trust me, somebody else or the culture of the day will disciple your children. Complacency never leads or ends well. And so, as I come into land, another one that really just trips us up in this day. We're year at year, so I'm not even going to try and bring in the the world, busyness, okay, that good one, busyness, like it's just, you don't understand what's going on, busyness, it keeps me, and on a personal level, I learned a, a lesson a couple years ago, in the last couple years, don't find it, uh, don't naturally want to, like, find it easy to share, but through my health challenges, I honestly, before that, like I'm hoping a lot of you in the room, you live in a, this busyness where you really do live convinced that there are things in your life that is unliv you, you can't live without. Like, I mean, it just doesn't make any sense to you that how you could possibly not have that. Whatever it is, work, but there's those things that you're convinced. Like, no, you don't understand. I can't, I can't not. And I learned a valuable lesson, actually. If your body uh, gives out in a certain way, and, you, and I found myself in a place where I was, I was doing all right, but I found out, and I'm going to be honest with you, that I think 30% of our busyness 
is just those kind of things where we are under the impression that we can't do life without it until something comes along and just wipes everything off the table for you. And now you're going, oh, I'm doing okay without that stuff. Life hasn't ended. So I now get to have the opportunity to go, right, life can actually look different. The world didn't stop because I wasn't doing that activity or doing this or doing that. The world carried on. And so I'm going to end that section of this. There's a great band in the 90s, Rage Against the Machine. Anybody know them? Rage Against the Machine, they got this classic song that I think you and I should <laughs> maybe take the title, but it says, Know Your Enemy. And I think when it comes to the presence of God, we don't always know our enemy when it comes to this, the thing that keeps us from the presence of God. So I'm going to land now. The worship team can come up, and we're going to go into a time of worship and communion. And I want to land like this. How can we grow in this? How can you and I grow in this? A couple of things from Scripture. I think I'm going to keep it to a context of church or small group or, or even your life. I think we need to become a people that come more prepared on a Sunday. More prepared. What do I mean by that? Hey, be more fervent in your prayers during the week. That we are the kind of people that walk in your anticipating the presence of God. Anticipating the presence of God. Another thing that we heard this morning is that we're the kind of people that take serious the things that God takes serious, which should lead to repentance. But here's the good news. In today's economy, even if you say sorry, you can still get canceled. There's just no mercy out there. But with God, it's very different. When the people, when his people come to him and repent, he's merciful, he's gracious. He refreshes your soul and your life. You see, if we become more, anticip more anticipating of the, the presence of God... The presence of God in this community over 21 years has resulted in people being saved. The presence of God has resulted in people being healed. The presence of God has resulted in marriages being brought back from the brink of disaster. The presence of God has made people's life change inexplicably from addiction or whatever. The presence of God has changed family relationship dynamics in a way that is unexplainable. And so can we be a people of God that takes serious the things that God takes serious? Because why? Because in His presence, things can happen. They can happen in your personal life. They can happen in this community. But in the presence of God, you and I find refreshment. We find peace beyond all understanding. We find joy. And so as we go into a time of communion, I'm going to ask us to stand. I'm going to pray for us. And you've got your, I don't know what to call those, elements, but they're weird elements. Like, 
I know sometimes we, we break into groups for that, but I, I really do feel that this is quite a personal moment for you and I. Because sometimes there's things that you just need to stand before God and with a repentant heart know that you're standing before a glorious, gracious, and merciful king that does not deal with you like the world deals with you when you haven't got things right. And as we go into a time of worship, the band's going to play. I'm going to say take the elements at your own time. But I really would encourage you and, and, and plead with you to take this moment Maybe it's the first time in many years. Maybe if you're really honest with yourself, you need refreshing like never before in your life. Be it on a personal level, be it on a marriage level, be it on a, a parenting level, whatever. But you need refreshing for your soul. Your soul has been distant from God. The presence of God has been not evident for a very long time. Maybe you've never experienced the presence of God in that way. Maybe... You don't consider him your savior and your Lord. But have, have the, the courage this morning, based on God's goodness, to stand now and as we worship him, break bread, remember your, your savior and your Lord, and allow him to speak to you. Allow him to refresh your soul that comes on the back of you being a person that longs for his presence in your life. So I'm going to pray and then the guys are going to go. Father God, as we just stand before you now, King, Holy King, I ask that you help us, Holy Spirit, this morning to be the kind of people that seek and long for your presence in our lives. God, that we would take serious the things that you take serious, that we would be a people that seek after holiness, people that seek to worship you, to put before you all the glory that is due to you, God. And we thank you, God, because those things attract your beautiful presence. And with your presence comes peace that often people don't understand, but we, we stand secure in your hands. As your word said, you conceal us, God. You're our sanctuary. And so as we break bread together and as individuals, Holy Spirit, work in our hearts. Help us see the things we need to lay down at the foot of the cross this morning and walk away from. Maybe for the first time ever, or things that have been tripping us up, that we can lay it down at your feet and you say, put it down, you can walk away. That's mine now. Refresh our souls this morning, God. For those of us that, whose souls feel empty, whose heads are turned towards the ground in feeling defeated, May your presence come now, God, and lift our heads towards heaven. May our souls be refreshed.